The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 232 for December 21st, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. In, uh... Snowy, Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. On the other end is John F. Braun here in snowy Fairfield, Connecticut. Though it's it's it's, it's all gone now. But this uh yeah this this one uh this one packed a wallop. It, it was moving really slow. Yeah, you got a lot more of it than than uh, than we did here. So probably about a foot. Well, I measured in one spot and it was eight inches. But yeah, probably a foot. But it was all fluffy stuff. Okay. So you know, real easy to uh, you know clear the sidewalk and brush it off the cars. Though amazingly, some people don't understand how to do that. <laughs> I don't think anybody that lives near me would understand, you know, these uh, things. You don't, you know, clear your car off before you drive off so you don't create a whiteout. I've seen this. It, it, it baffles me. It gets especially interesting with ice. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. We didn't have any of that. No, so we, um, we got, we got a lot less of it. We got maybe three inches. It was, you know, very, very, very little. I think it yeah, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of people are into a, the white Christmas thing. It looks like we're going to get rain later on in the week, so it's going to wash it all away. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, you, you know, before before we move on, I, I just want to mention something and then and then move past it um, because I probably though I'm going to try to be my normal chipper self. We we had a very unexpected death in the family this weekend, so uh, if. Uh, if I sound less than uh, less than 100 percent, that's that's where that's coming from. So we're we're going through that. But um, it was in the in the extended family here. So. Uh, and I appreciate everybody who uh, who sent their thoughts and all that via via Twitter when I mentioned it there. So. Uh, and that's all I have to say on that. So shall we move on to uh, to Douglas here, John? We shall move on, and and it's morning, by the way. So we got coffee. It, to, uh, it is morning. That's right. We're doing this early, uh, just because of some scheduling stuff that's going on with me, and also John is uh, is available because he's uh, he's taking time off from the day job for us, which is excellent. I'm, I'm done. No, <laughs> no. I just had basically two weeks left, and uh, you, you you take it or you lose it. Yeah, that's right. You're on like you know some super urgent project, which I'm not at the moment. So, <laughs> all right, uh, Douglas writes. I've recently begun. Did you say something, John? Or did I hear a little nope. audio? Okay. Uh, Douglas writes, I recently begun experiencing this problem where my 17 inch iMac G4 running Tiger 10.4.11 won't auto connect to my preferred Wi Fi network upon waking or restarting. I've tried refreshing the settings and system preferences under network, but to no avail. The iMac will automatically connect to a neighbor's open Linksys router every time. It will, however, connect to my Wi-Fi network when I select other from the airport drop down menu and manually type the network name and password in. I think I may know why I can't fix this and stumbled upon an old fashioned thread for uh, or not an old fashioned, just an old thread from Mac OS 10 hints forums describing exactly what I'm experiencing and seeing on my Mac. I would like to try it. And it goes through editing the preferences file. Uh, and he says, I would like to try editing the preferences file as suggested on the forums but would like your input before attempting this possible fix as the answer on the forums appears to be incomplete. By the way, I use an Apple Airport Express N Airport Extreme N router with WEP for Wi-Fi in the house. Thanks and uh, and all of that. Okay. Uh so there's a couple of things to talk about here John, but let's let's talk about the problem first. Oh, it, it sounds I want to shake my fist and say he should be I know. using WEP, but we'll say that later. We'll say that later. Uh I know I it, it what it sounds like. Let, let's talk about the first way that you would solve this problem. And clearly, Douglas has tried this and it hasn't worked. But but normally, what you would do is you'd go into System Preferences and click on Airport. Uh, sorry, click on Network, and then inside Network, you click on Airport, and you're going to see uh, if you go to Advanced, I believe, you're going to see a list yep. of your uh, of all the airport networks that that your computer remembers and. Normally, uh, there, well, actually, there's a little checkbox there that says, remember any network this computer has joined. Uh, if that box is checked, it, it should remember all those networks. So the first thing I would do is say, make sure that box is checked, then connect to your network. It should appear in this list. And then what you do is you drag around uh, the network so that you take your network and put it all the way at the top of the list and make sure it's above 
the network name links is so that uh, and then in theory, when your Mac goes to uh, find an airport network, it goes in. It says, is there the one named whatever yours is named? No. Then it just falls down the list. Obviously, that's not happening. Uh, and I believe that's due to a damaged preferences file. The Mac OS 10 hints article that uh, Douglas references talks about either editing or, or deleting that preferences file and, and having Mac OS 10 go and recreate it. Okay. I'd, I'd much rather prefer either whacking it. Uh, so one, I think as you're suggesting, deal with it through the, the approved interface. If possible. If, if possible. Yes. And, and it's not clear to me if he's tried, he's tried everything. Like one thing would be to get rid of everything in that window, all the base stations. Sure. Um, yep. I yep. assume that's what he meant by um, resetting, but I want to make sure. Yep. I want to be clear on that is that there may be a whole and actually every now and then, because I think I leave it on the setting, you know, remember who you've connected to, because you never know if you're going to be in the same hotel or airport or whatever. So, yep. but but that can that list can get full of garbage and you may want to you know prune it um, every now and then. But but I would uh, uh, directly editing a prep file makes me nervous. I would rather whack it and let it recreate it and hope that fixes the problem. But if not. Uh, yeah, if if not, um you you can edit that preference file. I, I remember doing this and it might've been back in the, in the days where I was running tiger. Uh, but, but the other thing you can do that may or may not help, but, but is worth trying before you, if you're, you know, if you're nervous about editing this preferences file, it's a P list file. So it, 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 it's, it's in like semi English, I'll call it. Uh, if, if you, if you take a moment and look at the format of it, it's very hierarchical and it's got, items and, and tags and, and you should be able to see it, but it, but it can be daunting and confusing and, and sometimes it can be very long. What I would try first uh, is, well, first I would try what we discussed. And after that, I would remove the network by, by clicking the minus sign on airport uh, and re add it uh, though. I'm not Ooh. convinced that that's going to solve this, but, but it's, right, one worth, thing, it's worth trying. One thing I want to suggest is rather than directly editing that file, Mm-hmm. With a text editor, because I think what you're—that's what you're saying—and and I believe it's XML is is how that's set up. Yeah, but it well, it's a plist file, uh, so it is XML in a very in 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 the sense that XML well, it has is some a very structure meta and tags thing, and correct. Stuff. But it may what be I'm a saying, binary plist right. file, so you need to use a binary plist editor oh. like BB Edit, or uh, there is an, uh, a free app called plist editor. And I think text wrangler will edit plist files too. Okay. Cause I have another one. I okay. have a ha- handy little thing, which I believe comes with the developer tools called property list editor. And that is right. from Apple, right. which is on, on my, my G five. When I double click on a plist file, that's what it opens up. And that gives you a pretty nice way. It shows you, you know, the name of the key, the, the data type, and then ways to change the value. Yeah. yeah as you point out, David, it's a binary string that could get kind of, squirrely well it's not so much that it's a binary string it's that the file itself is a binary file so if you try to open it in a normal text editor you won't see anything but i did just check in text wrangler like bb edit will open it and on the fly convert it into uh, a text xml file and then you make your edits and when you save your edits back it automatically then converts them back to that binary format so it's actually possible that simply the act of editing that file with something like like text wrangler that the or bb edit right will open it up and clear up any problems because it's reconverting it back to binary as opposed to just leaving this this damaged binary file there so all right do we have it oh we do have something else on this one john you wanted well to shake i was going to shake my fist well well what he meant uh, so he mentioned he's using web as the security protocol and if you don't know but WEP is something with today's, uh, you know, computer processors that if you got the right program, you could brute force that. Um, so WEP uh, for do something other than WEP. If you're going to bother to apply security, don't use WEP. If it's available now, some older machines and, and uh, wireless cards uh, or, you know, the software that they come with may not support WEP. I, I see less and less of that these days. It, I think everybody supports at least WPA or WPA2 or something like that. So I would, uh, unless he's got a good reason, uh, again, if he has a you know older piece of hardware, wireless hardware that doesn't understand anything beyond web, uh, I would, I would strongly suggest changing that to something else. Yeah. And, and, it, but, 
you're right, John, before you change that, make sure you don't have any hardware that uh, that required you to use it in the first place. And and a lot of times uh, I know my kids, Nintendo DSs will only do web. Um, and, and there, and there was a time when TiVo would only do web that that's, that's changed. Uh, I I'm pretty sure I know that we will do uh, WPA. I, I'm pretty sure the Xbox will, will do that as well. But, but there are pieces of hardware out there that, that only support web as a kind of a lowest common denominator. So, all right. Uh, moving on to Steven. Oh yeah. No, I'm looking uh, yeah. You know, just to back up what you said, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at a P list file. Yes. With uh, opening it with text editor, and there's there's some Greek in here. Literally, I think there's some Greek characters. So, yeah, that's not the way you want to approach one of these files. No, Definitely no. Not. Try if you have BB Edit, use it. But Text Wrangler is is like BB Edit's little brother, and it's free. So okay. Uh, will, so this is not this. XML as I suspected. It, T list is not XML because XML is is uh, pure text encoded or otherwise. The, correct. This is something different. This is a this is a binary encoded version of xml so i mean it oh, is sort of interesting yeah, all right i'll have to read up on it because now i mean xml i've worked with it you, you you if stuff is binary there's a way to encode it in correct characters correct correct anyways next next steven hi john hi dave this is steve from england um merry christmas season's greetings and a happy new year to you both hope you're all having a good time over there and uh, have a very prosperous new year okay now that's out of the way um Quick question for you regarding Spotlight. Uh, running 10.6.2 on a 24-inch iMac, uh, the 2.2 gigahertz model. Um, for some strange reason, if I click directly on Spotlight and search for anything, I can hear all my external connected drives spinning up. I can hear it searching for stuff. They're all indexed properly, but I get no results. It says no results found. However... If I double-click, say, on my uh, Macintosh hard drive image on a desktop or any of my external drives and perform the same search within that, then I get a full set of results. I don't know what's happening. I've tried trashing preferences. I've tried all the usual stuff that you can normally think of. No results. Um, that's it. So have a good one is where you cut me off. See ya. Yeah, this is a, this is a strange one, John, because uh, obviously Spotlight's working. And kind yet <laughs> it's, of. it's not. Yeah. It, 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 it I, I'm not sure of the answer here. My, my gut says, do what you always do, Dave, when there's a problem with spotlight and that is wipe out all the spotlight indexes. And I guess it's possible that if one spotlight index, there, there's a separate spotlight index on every drive. Uh, so if one of those is damaged, it's possible that, the the global spotlight search will simply fail if it if it can't plow through that that damaged index file. But, you know, targeted spotlight searches would. So uh, you can delete those spotlight indexes. And there's a couple ways to do it. One is in the spotlight system preference pane. And the, but it's, it's not entirely clear the way you do it is you add the drive to the privacy tab and that will delete the index and tell it not to index that drive. And then you can remove it from there. But that's not it. That's not the best way because it's sort of funky. Uh, it's a weird path to take. The other way I do it, John, is I would. Uh, you could go to the terminal and use the MD util command. And I'm not even going to bother to tell you what that is because there's a better way. And that is using a program like Onyx. Uh, and that will let you delete the spotlight index on any given drive or, or all of your drives. And, and it's going to be a much cleaner way of doing it than heading to the terminal. Uh, if you're comfortable with the terminal, uh, the command is MDUtil. But but uh, again, I, I, I don't do that. I, I recommend Spotlight. So mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I recommend Onyx <laughs> to fix Spotlight. Mm -hmm. Anything from you, John? Nothing. No, I'm with you. Sometimes, yeah, yeah sometimes the file just gets uh, corrupted. Um, keep an eye on your... Uh, you know, while you're in Spotlight, keep a keep an eye on your search results uh, thing, just to make sure that you are, are indexing what you think you're indexing. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you're talking about the Spotlight system preference pane. Yeah, search results. You know, it has priority and uh, you know, way to list your results, and also just if you're going to even catalog something. Well, so. actually, what I've found out because I used to believe that to be true. Oh. 
But I, what I've found is that Spotlight catalogs everything and indexes everything, no matter what you have checked here. It will only show you the results you have checked and uh, you can set the order. And what we're talking about is the Spotlight System Preference pane, the search results tab. Uh, you've got all sorts of things listed here and there are you can use plugins uh, to add more. But uh, but it will oh. index everything. So it's a filter. Yes. Of sorts. Yes. A filter of sorts is a, a good way to look at it. Yep. I, well, that's actually what it says here. It says, you know, change order and res- results appear and mm-hmm. only selected categories will appear. It doesn't say will be indexed. So Correct. Correct. I didn't know that. I learned something new today. Excellent. That's what we're here for. <laughs> you, me, and the listeners. We're all helping each other. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, some of the help comes from our sponsors. And uh, our first sponsor today is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. I love a lot of their products. I really love their A2 desktop speakers. These are separate enclosures. Uh, each speaker, you've got a left, you've got a right, and each enclosure has two speakers in it, uh, a woofer and then a little tweeter. And it's also got a little bass port at the bottom. These things look small and sound big. Uh, I know that sounds like a line, and, and I guess it is, but uh, but it's true. They, uh, they they somehow have designed these enclosures. I guess it's the wood in the enclosure and the way that they've built the speakers and and, and the way that they've carved out this bass port. It makes them able to deliver really clear, clean, uh, high quality sound at at any volume level. I, you know, they're they're definitely built to be on your desk and to give you sound at very close range. But I use a set of these in my house and have for well over a year. Uh, it and they they totally fill our our kitchen and and study area, which is sort of all sort of connected there. Uh, we love them, and I know you would too. They're $199. You can get them in black or white, and they're available at AudioEngineUSA.com. Now, a couple things that you should know. First, they allow a 30-day free test drive, uh, which means that or a free audition is the right is the right term. Uh, if you don't like them, send them back within 30 days, and they'll give you a refund uh, of the the full purchase price. There. Speaking of the full purchase price, you can knock 10% off. So in this case, that's almost 20 bucks. Uh, by using the coupon code MGGTEN, so MGG10 spelled out, uh, is your coupon code to save 10%. All available at AudioEngineUSA.com. And I think it's time to talk about Kevin's question, John. Indeed. And John, I have to say, John, uh, with everything that's been going on with me, I asked John to to prep the agenda for the show today. And it, man, it's like smooth like butter. It's great. Uh, so thank you, John. Anytime. Kevin. Well, not anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, no, it's we, good. We try, we try we to share the load. The, uh, yeah. 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 Hey, you know, speaking of, of sharing the load, um, I wanted to talk about the AAC conversions uh, for a minute before we get on to Kevin here and and. This is a oh, good time yeah, you had you had a little tangent. adventure. I did. Oh, I just totally forgot about my adventure. What I wanted to say was we've heard your concerns, you know, for the last several months, uh, the time delay between when the MP3 is finished recording and released and the AAC is released had gotten uh, a little bit lax. Michael Johnston's schedule has been kind of crazy lately, and he's the one that does the those for us. And, and it's, it, you know, it had gotten to be, you know, we used to take a day. You know, sometimes it got to be three days and, and that's too long. I apologize for that. John and I both apologize for that. As does Michael. Uh, we're working out a new schedule here and, and hopefully that will start immediately and we'll have this show out within, within 24 hours, one way or another. Mm. Last week, as you know, we did two shows, one uh, for, for this feed, which is the, the uh, standard and sponsored feed. And then we did one for our, our, our brand new premium feed. And thank you for all of you who have uh, have subscribed. It's been it's been great. And John and I are really looking forward to continuing on the on this current track. But we had two shows recorded on Sunday and Wednesday morning came around and they still weren't AAC ified. So I took it on myself to convert one of them to AAC Wednesday morning and figured I would do the second one. Or, or as it turns out, Michael was able to do it this that afternoon. So we got it. We got it straightened out. So I went through in GarageBand, John, and I converted uh, I converted the show to AAC and GarageBand's interface is actually pretty good. You start playing the show 
And, uh, and you know, when, when we mention something, I just hit the uh, add marker button and it adds a marker there. And then as I'm listening, I can even go and grab the image and put the link in and put a title in and, you know, I can decide whether or not it should be a chapter or just a link, et cetera, et cetera. It works. It actually works really, really well. And it's pretty smooth to do an hour long show probably took me an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, it really, you know, I didn't have to pause it all too often. And so I get to the end uh, and as has happened to me many times before, uh, I exported the show. I went to test it and the images appear, the chapters appear, but no links appear. And I proceeded to spend the next three hours beating my head against a wall. Actually, if I had beat oh. my head against a wall, it would have felt more productive because at least I would have seen results immediately. But I beat my head. I reconverted. I ripped it apart. I tried to figure out what was different. And then I said, wait a minute. I, I actually started tweeting back and forth with uh, Chris Breen and John Welch. Uh, and it, it, they didn't they didn't have the answer. But but it, it that kind of helped me to open up and say, oh, wait a minute. I should follow the time proven age old troubleshooting process here. Figure out what's going on. And so I started looking. I'm like, okay, the, the links are the issue. As opposed to just, you know, throwing everything at it and, and being all frustrated that GarageBand sucks and, you know, cursing and all of that stuff and scaring my family. Uh, now, was there a point where you created one where it did work? Like, did you do a little baby version first just to, you know, make sure all the gears were... Yeah. So here's the, here's the thing. I have done this before and I've had it work fine on an hour long show. Occasionally I'll have to, you know, I'll be the one that does the conversion and it's worked fine. And then other times it hasn't worked fine. Um, and, but on Sunday, on Monday, you and I did our little, uh, short version of the show to not of the show, but our little short version that explained the premium show. And I did convert that to AAC, but I only put one link in and all that, and it worked fine. So, yes, I had done a baby version on this same computer not two days prior, and it worked fine. So I knew it was possible. So I started looking around, and I started thinking, okay, what's happening in this conversion process? Well, it's taking this data, and, and then I know that it spits it out to a, you know, a, a text file. And then it takes that and there's this podcast producer. Now, this all may happen inside GarageBand, but the process is this. And then it bakes it all into this special AAC format. I thought, well, what happens if there's a character? You know, what happens if the parser hits a character that it thinks is at the end of a line or, or some delimiter that's not a delimiter, but it thinks it's a delimiter and it blows up because I've seen this before. You know, you parsing a file and if it's a comma delimited file and has you know city comma state in it somewhere well that's going to throw the whole thing off right if it's expecting comma to to you know stop fields and you've got you know you've got that same character in a field and there's th there's ways that you can go around that but if you don't go around it if the programmer didn't think to go around it you've got a problem so one way is to just use text and numbers mm-hmm and and so I started looking and I looked at all my fields and I'm like you oh, know everything's fine and then I started looking at the URLs themselves and as you've pro all probably seen there are times when URLs contain two non-standard characters although they're standard one is a question mark and that starts the process in a URL of saying I'm going to pass you variables and the question mark says you know you say question mark variable number one equals data then if you have a second variable you don't use a question mark again you use an ampersand you say ampersand variable number two equals data ampersand variable number three equals data and this is very common if you're linking to say forums or, or things like that we had two such links in last show and as soon as i removed the ampersands the question marks were fine as soon as i removed the ampersands uh and what i did was i used a service like bitly bit.ly to shorten the links, but it also it takes the ampersands out of what I need to embed into GarageBand. As soon as I did that, everything worked fine. So, uh, so let that be a lesson to uh, to any of you out there, either that are converting podcasts or really doing anything. That you know, it, there's 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 always the troubleshooting path, and start removing things until you find the problem, and then examine what you've removed, and therein lies the huh. problem. And I'm yeah. wondering, is it just, is it GarageBand, is it a bug in GarageBand that 
you know, another program that could create an enhanced file would, would not have a problem with, or is it a bug in iTunes where it may see the link and it's improperly formed and it's screwing up on it. Uh, somebody's not right. It, it just sounds to me weird that a specific care it, 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 as, as you're saying, I mean, you know, knowing a bit about parsers, um, yeah, they shouldn't react to that character in that way. I mean, every character should be valid or it shouldn't let you do it. It should say, dude, right. what, what is this? Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't flag it as an error. It just kind of let you do it and, and produced a, a file which didn't work right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a there's a missing error trap somewhere in there. Uh, but but so here's the thing with AAC files. They are an Apple only format. So it's hard to test it outside of their element. The only thing that you could do would be, like you said, to use a third party uh, podcast enhancement app. But all those apps are are front ends for what eventually gets pumped into Apple's AAC Baker utility. And there's it's a it, that's not the name of it, but it takes the audio and then this this file of links and text and times and images and 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 bakes it all together into one enhanced AAC file. And the only thing that does that to my knowledge is Apple's utility. Now, that's that's included in GarageBand, of course. Uh, but you can also find the command line version of it out there and and you essentially point two files at it. One is is an XML, I believe, John, that that has all of the enhancement data. And then the other is the the audio itself. And it you know ties it all together and spits out this one file. So I, I but I'm but I, I'm not sure where, whether the problem is in GarageBand or in that Baker utility uh, or or, you know, or something else. So. Craziness. But I'm glad it's over because I anytime I went to convert one of these on my own, it was about half the time this would happen. I would get so anxious about, oh, no, you know, it's just am I wasting my time here? It's not going to work. And and so now that I know the answer, uh, I'm, I'm very confident about creating enhanced files. So if, if Michael's schedule doesn't work, John, you, you or I can can easily take this task on and uh, and have some fun with it. So we'll, we'll see what goes on. But I'm hoping Michael can 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 find it in his schedule to continue to do this. Okay. Us. Yeah. And likewise, I'll, uh, you know, as, as you may have noticed, uh, you know, I got the notes out in a pretty timely fashion as yeah. well. So uh, you've been kicking butt with that, I will, man. I will strive to do that in. Yeah. To, you know, give uh, give the listeners uh, instant gratification. That's right. That's right. All right. So now on to on to Kevin. And there is an article at TMO that I'm sure has already been linked to either by Michael, me or John as we created the AAC. Uh, Kevin writes, I'm in a bit of a quandary with my new Mac mini. I bought the low end version since I had external storage. I didn't need the larger drive of the 799 model and upgraded the RAM to two gigabytes. I also bought Apple Care. Overall, I'm very happy with the machine. However, it's allowed me to run applications that I never could before, so it seems that I underestimated the amount of RAM I needed. I've often heard you guys talk about the fact that there was a wink-wink, nudge-nudge view by Apple on upgrading your Mini. In short, it was okay as long as you didn't break anything. On reading a user's manual for the early 2009 model, it seems that philosophy has been changed. The relevant paragraph says, Your Mac Mini does not have any user-serviceable parts. If you need service, take your Mac Mini to an Apple-authorized service provider or contact Apple for service. You can find more information through online resources, on-screen help, system profiler, etc. If you want additional memory installed, contact an Apple-authorized service provider or an Apple Store retail location. That's the highlight right there. Kevin, Kevin continues, Knowing that what Apple would want for both RAM and service, I'm hesitant to have them perform the upgrade. I know I can find RAM chips themselves much cheaper. I've usually done my own maintenance on Power Mac towers, but the latest Macs with their laptop parts is a whole new ballgame for me. I'm afraid that by installing my own memory, I'll void the service plan. So here's my question. Would I still be voiding the warranty if I were to take the Mini to Best Buy and have them install the RAM? Should I do it myself and cross my fingers or pony up the big bucks and have Apple do it? Thanks, Kevin. Uh, so let's answer the Best Buy question first, John, and then we'll then we'll open the door of... of, of uh... Actually, there's there's two questions to answer. So... Number one, would he void his warranty if he did it himself? And technically, the answer is yes. But we're we're going we're to put an asterisk on that, right? Because we want to have some discussion about that. Definitely. Okay. But, okay. but you you agree with the the short version of the answer, correct? Uh, 
Yes. Is okay. that policy says no, unless, uh, and, and they, they pretty clearly state it. And also, you know, we pointed out a couple of episodes. I'll, I'll, you know, get the link for that. Apple does have a list of instructions for things that they approve of you replacing. Like, uh, I think the thing we talked about was the hard drive in an uh, iMac G5. Right. They say, yep. Now you can still mess things up, but you know. Sure. Um, so, anyways, but that is yeah. So the the mini, I, I haven't seen the mini on their list of machines because you know, quite honestly, it's it's kind of a pain to get into that thing because when you look at it initially, you're like, how do I get into this? That's right. I have one at work, and I looked at it, and it's it's certainly not obvious how to how to crack the thing open. Okay. So, so. Uh, okay, so that that's that's the medium version to question number one, and we're going to come back to that. Question number two. If I take the mini to Best Buy and have them install the RAM, I believe Best Buy mm. is authorized to do Apple service because they are they're authorized um, authorized to sell Apple stuff. Uh, but you can ask them that they, they would okay. be the, they would be the right ones to answer that question. Or, well, you just look at the Apple does have another and I think I've linked to it in the past. We'll link again. But they, it, there is a way to get a list of AASPs or I think Apple authorized service providers. Yep. And if they're on the list, Apple actually has a very nice, you know, uh, right. utility where you put in your address and it shows you anybody, Apple Store or otherwise, who, uh, you know, and a lot of them are in Apple stores, which are permitted to do this. So if they're on, if Best Buy is on that list, or they can say, stand behind it and say, yes, we're an AASP. And right. I'm not lying to you. That's right. That's right. Uh, but <laughs> is yeah. that Geek Squad? Isn't that Best yeah, Buy? It is. Uh, I don't, but I don't know if the Geek Squad does Mac stuff. I, that's, that's, um, I've always, I don't know. I've always not thought well of the Geek Squad in general, and I don't mean to to offend any Geek Squad employees out there, but I've never liked the way they've run things. But that's that's just me, and and I ran a business yeah. like that uh, fifteen years ago, so you know, I, I well, of course I know that I can do it better, right? So that's my that's my big problem. Uh, it's just my ego talking, though. Mm-hmm. All right, I hear it. Hey, you know, there it is. Um, so in terms of doing it yourself. We know that there's iFixit out there, and in in fact, as a as a little wow. tangent, iFixit now uh, has opened up all of their repair manuals. In in, in fact, uh, th- what and what that means, they are now licensing all their iFixit repair manuals under Creative Commons license. Uh, so it is free repair documentation, and there are some some guidelines and rules that you have to follow uh, to to republish these and all that. And that's all available at iFixit. But, but it's very cool that they've, I mean, they've spent countless hours putting these together and will continue to spend countless hours putting them together. And, and they're, they've released them as, as, uh, as essentially open source for documentation, which is co- creative Commons. So, uh, so there's that, and that will teach you how to do this. It, my advice would be read through it and feel what you're comfortable with. Uh, if you think you can do it, then the conversation we're about to have here applies. And that's in terms of, do you void your warranty? And what's the nudge, nudge, wink, wink policy really mean? Go, and John, you, I think you've got the handle on that. So, um, Yeah, you know, the thing, the, the thing is, so one, a lot of their manuals, and I'm very happy with uh, iFixit. They'll give you a difficulty level. I think they will with, with this operation as well. Yep. Um you know, try to gauge your, you know, if, if, if you run in terror from a soldering iron or, or stuff like that, then then you may want to let someone else do the work. Uh, like the thing I did, they actually ra- when I was taking, you know, when I was fixing my machine and taking the case off, I think they, they ranked it moderate. And I, I would agree with that. OK, you, know, you got to keep your wits about you. Um, but there are some challenging, you know, making sure, you know, things go go in the right place and putting it back together. Right. Anyways, I would say, honestly, Dave, um, if they can't tell that you've been in there and there's no obvious signs of you screwing something up, yep. then I don't think to Apple it matters. I think they're only looking for, if they open the machine and they see something that they don't expect, either a part's missing or something's in the wrong spot, and it can contribute to whatever problem you're bringing it to Apple for, um, I think that's what you got to go with. There's the So that's why I think we say the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, is that if you're good enough to take it apart and put it back together and they can't tell the difference. And, and I don't think there is a way for them to tell that, you what? know, I don't know if they have seals on the screws and stuff. I do know in some devices they have a moisture detector, but I don't know if, you know, if, if they can't tell that you've been in there, then I don't think they're, they're going to yell at you. I think that's, that's right. Uh, but that's, you know, here's the, here's the thing. If you do something like uh, putting third party Ram in or replace the hard drive with a non Apple OEM to drive, 
They uh-huh. can tell that you've been in there. I mean, it's pretty obvious if they look at the RAM, they can say, well, this got in here somehow. And it's reasonable to assume that, you know, someone opened the machine up to do it because we haven't figured out the technology to transport RAM in and out of a computer. Right. You know, be cool if we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but but even then, the official policy is that, yes, you have now voided the warranty. However, um, everyone that we've spoken to and, and of course, none of them will go on the record and, and sign their name to this. Uh, but everyone that we've spoken to and all the experiences that that I've had, certainly, and, and that our listeners have told us about. Is that. It is exactly as John just just described, if you didn't screw anything up getting in or out, uh, then they don't care. They're, they're not there to be the 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 Mac police and say, oh, 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 you went in there. Yes, everything's fine. But you went in there. But, you know, if, if you've got some issue where your motherboard fried and it can reasonably be traced back to bad RAM and you've got third party RAM in there, they might say, you know, hey, look, you know, we're going to be reasonable about this, but we need you to be reasonable, too. And you, you went ahead and put third party RAM in that could possibly have fried your motherboard. So, you know, there you go. Um, so now that's a, that's a rare occurrence, but you know, now what I have seen them do. Yeah. What I have seen them do and, and rightfully so I think is that if the machine does come in with parts that were not in the original machine and they didn't put them in, yep. They will, one of the first things they do is they will pull that stuff out and put in either remove it for testing purposes. Right. Or I think they'll actually try to replace it with the official part. And if everything works, then you cause the problem with your, you know, cheap, hard driver ram that they didn't put in that's a good point <laughs> yep that's right yeah well, i've had that and, I, and again i don't blame them because there were some cases well you remember some of the go-arounds where the ram manufacturers and apple were pointing at each other apple was saying well we tightened up our tolerances and and your ram doesn't comply and the ram guys were like no 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 we we meet you know the industry specs on this it's, it's your firmware that's being a bit too picky and i, I remember being in the middle of a oh, couple yeah. of those yeah so sometimes you get caught in the middle um and that Apple, yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, looks, uh, wants to go beyond published specs for, for whatever reason. And, and then you get in the middle of that. And that. Yeah, the good the good news. And I and, and I think what you were talking about, John, is something that happened probably almost 10 years ago now with the Pismo, the PowerBook Pismo, where Apple updated the firmware. And it was like a Friday night and then nobody's RAM worked. You know, nobody's third party RAM worked. The best thing, though, uh, about that was. If you bought your third party RAM from someone that gives you a lifetime guarantee on it, and there there are lots of companies that do uh, in that case, they all just shipped out replacement RAM that, that matched Apple specs. Uh, so, you know, and, and and I had I had great luck. I think at the time I was using Ramjet RAM and it was like, oh, yep, here you go. And it wasn't just me because I was with TMO or anything. It was that was their policy. They did it for everyone. I'm sure it cost them uh, dearly. But mm-hmm. but, you know, that's that's customer service. And that's why companies like like them and, and other world computing and, you know, all those folks are still around today because they it's customer service. Crucial. I like crucial. Crucial, also. too. They Thank you. Very, yes. They have a very nice. Uh, what RAM does my machine yep. need? Uh, and they tool. guarantee that if you use that tool and order the RAM, they guarantee that it will work, meaning that they'll pay shipping and all of that stuff to, to make sure that you've got what, uh, what you need if you have any problems. So cool. All right. All right. Moving Uh, on to Peter. All right. Yeah. Hey guys, Peter from Wisconsin. Great podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks. I have been having some issues with Apple's mail app and trying to get it to set up with, or been trying to set it up with a Gmail email account running into a bit of a snag every time I try to set it up, whether it be automatically or manually, pop server, IMAP server, it continues to yell at me saying that it was unable to connect. Uh, I do have a about a 300-foot cable run from uh, this computer to the nearest router. As, I, as this computer is installed in a church, I'm unable to change that, unfortunately, hoping that this is not the problem. Uh, any Assistance on this would be greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks again. Here's where you cut me off. And so we shall. Uh, hmm. John, that, so... That sounds like a a long run, but not unusual. No, and, and the way to test that run would be to simply browse the web. 
And if you can browse the web, then it's reasonable to assume that barring any other problems, email or any other sort of data transport across that cable should work. Oh, oh, I have a yeah, very simple thought here. So very low level ping. Yep. Our friend ping. If you can ping the router. Yes. Then I would say that your your hardware connection. So that's the very basic thing. Now, if you're pinging and sometimes it comes back and sometimes it doesn't, then to me, that would hit that a network issue. Right, right, right. Right. OK, so to, to find out the address of the router. Uh, and this is going to get geeky, the, the, this part of the answer and the next part of the answer. But we'll, we'll try to make it uh, uh, as understandable as possible. So go into network and system preferences. Click on your active connection, which is going to be built in Ethernet in this case. But, uh, you know, you, 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 you may be airport or what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you click on that, you'll see a list of addresses. And one of them is going to be called router. Uh, so remember that, uh, or I think you can even highlight it and copy it. Yes, you can. And then open up our friend, the terminal. We're going to do some non destructive stuff in the terminal. So nothing to worry about here. Type the word ping, as John said, P I N G space, and then either type in or paste in the address of the router, type that in. And if you see responses coming back, and they're all in order for the ICMP underscore SEQ for the ICMP sequence, then you're good to go. It's going to keep doing that. So control C will stop the, uh, the pinging process. That that's one way to make sure. Now, if you get, if you get intermittent responses, as John said, that can indicate uh, a connection issue. If you get no responses, don't, mm. don't worry necessarily. That could just be that the router doesn't respond to pings. So uh, so that's step one, right, John? All right. While you're at the terminal, let's try, let's assume that you get your pings or your web pages load and all of that, right? So we know that the data cable or the data connection to the router, at least is good. And if you're getting web pages, then that means that your data connection to the outside world is good. But in this case, Peter doesn't run the network. So he doesn't know how his data connection to the outside world works. It's possible that there's some sort of firewall or proxy server or something in the way of him simply talking uh, directly to the outside world. And my guess is that's what's going on here. The best way that I can think of to test this, you know, mail.app tries to test this connection and it's telling you, Peter, that it's failing. So what I would do is go to the, uh, the terminal and type in the following. Telnet, T-E-L-N-E-T. -E -E Again, this is all non-destructive, so you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. T-E-L-N-E-T -E space, and then the address of your mail server. So pop.gmail.com or whatever, whatever it is you're using, and then a space. And then, depending on the type of server it is, you're going to type a number. And this number is the port number of the server. So if it's a pop server, P-O-P -P server, try port 110 or port 995. Uh, 110 is the insecure pop for pop port. 995 is the secure pop port. If it's an IMAP server, you're going to do port 143 or port 993. Again, 143 is insecure, 993 secure. And hit enter. If you get um, a, a response, and I'm trying to, it, it'll say connected. Well, go, go ahead. No, well, well, I was saying yes. In some cases, you'll get a response. Like, you know, a banner saying mail server, whatever. Hi, how, how are you doing? Yep. Um, in some cases, you may not get any sort of response if, if they don't have a chatty uh, server, unless maybe you hit a key or something. But, but, um, but what happens if uh, you get a message? What is the message? I think I'll say I'm, usually connection. Or were you going to say it? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's it is. I've got it right in front of me here. So what it's going to say is your Mac's going to say trying space and then the name of the mail server or the address of the mail server, whatever you've typed in or whatever it's converted it to. And then three dots right after that, it should say connected to, and then the name or hmm. the, the name. If it, if you get that far, then, and then the next line should say escape character is, uh, and then carrot, uh, close bracket. If it says that, that's your, that's your Mac talking to you. Anything after that line is the server talking back to you at this point. Like John said, you don't have to worry whether the server itself says anything. What you're trying to do is just see if your Mac can connect to the server. If it says trying 
you know, if all it says is the one line of trying and then the address or the name of the server and it sits there, then your computer cannot connect to that mail server in a in a successful way. And if that's the case, then you've got to figure out what's going on with your network and and talk to the network admins there. Well, Marfa, is that usually what I've seen is that it will typically time out. That's right. Eventually, It'll, I'll yeah. see what I was going to say is I'll see a message, something along the line of connection failed or network unreachable or some. Yeah, usually network uh, connection failed, yep. which, which basically means whatever mail port you, you told me to talk to, I don't see anything there or someone's blocking me. And, yep. and at that case, then you know that it's a problem with at a higher level between you and the mail server is that your, your machine for whatever reason is unable to get to it. Now you, you, yeah, you pointed out it could be a proxy server that you're supposed to be talking to. It could be a firewall. Yep, exactly. Exactly. But this Uh, is handy for pretty much any network service where you know the port number and you just want to see is the plumbing working. Can, can I even make a basic network connection to it? And that's usually a good first step to resolve a lot of these uh, server, be they mail or otherwise. Right. Right. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, and, and then if you do have this problem, go and talk to your network uh, people or or whoever it is that set it up. I mean, in, in this case, it might even be a third party uh, who's contracted to to manage those sorts of things and, and just give them a call and say, look, I'm, I'm trying to connect to uh, another mail server. Is there is there something I can do? And they may they may have to set you up with, with a, a separate tunnel or something to to get out. They may have the network secured. So. Yep. I had one place a, a while ago where I was helping my mom out and uh, she had, I think what happened is the ISP that they had, the, the, they were transitioning from, you know, one company to another or they got acquired and they actually, I think, re- retired the old name, which I guess oh, they had to at some point. Right. So all of a sudden it was a bad connection. It was because the mail server name didn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right. Instead of it being Adelphia.com, it was then I think Comcast.com, got it. which the mail Mail, so you know they should have left it, but they didn't. I, I don't know why they didn't leave the old name. I guess sure, it cost cost a few bucks to maintain that or or something. <laughs> yeah, ah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Cool. Uh, yeah, and and then of course all of this is predicated upon the assumption that you have the right name to begin with, right? As, as John just pointed out. So make sure uh, that you're using the right server names for your uh, for your mail provider. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So most follow the convention like mine, I think is mail.optonline.net. Yep. That's Some right. Maybe pop, you know, they may use the protocol instead of mail. I, I think mail is nice just because it, it's easy to remember. You got it. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. All right. Um, our second sponsor for this show is circus ponies and circus ponies has a great app called notebook. And instead of me explaining it to you and instead of pilot Pete explaining it because he's been busy and he's not here, uh, well, let, well, go ahead and we'll let, uh, we'll let one of our listeners explain it to you here. Hey, John and Dave, it's Dennis from California. I'll tell you, I really dig your show and I look forward to learning something new each week uh, about, uh, how to use my Mac. Uh, however, so much information is covered during each podcast. It's kind of difficult to, you know, remember all the tips and tricks that you guys talk about in an hour long show and, I've only had a Mac about six, eight months, so I'm going way back into your episodes to do some learning. Um, I tell you, I'm a daily user of the uh, notebook by Circus Ponies, and uh, I use it to organize like several areas of my life, work, home, uh, vacation planning, things like that. But I've kind of found a unique way to use it that I, I wanted to mention to you guys, and what I've done is since it's uh, so much information that comes across during your podcast, is I've actually set up a notebook, uh, which is called the Mac Geek Gab Notebook. And uh, what I do is I download your uh, file, uh, your MP3 file from the Internet, and then I paste it uh, into the notebook. So I have a little player that pops up uh, with the show number that I'll install next to it. Then I take the uh, show notes, highlight those, and put those uh, on the page as well with all the links to the things that you guys talk about. And and I do this all on the uh, Cornell uh, style page uh, that Notebook offers. And and that allows me to put uh, the right side column with a player and all the show notes. 
then I'm able to actually keep notes uh, on the right side, little quick notes that I want to jot down about the show. And then on the bottom, you also have an area to enter text, and I, I put in more detailed text there. So what I'll do is sit in front of the, the computer um, when I can and listen to, to the player right inside the notebook, uh, take notes, add um, sticky notes, uh, tabs to things that I think are important, click right there on the links from the show notes, uh, and things like that. I also set up uh, a second page for the show, which I throw in a clipping service, which if I grab something on the internet and find interesting, I'll clip that. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll actually be listening to, uh, I have an hour commute uh, to the Bay Area. Uh, so I'll listen to your podcast uh, through the iPhone, and uh, I'll pause it. I'll make myself a quick uh, voice memo, email it to myself, and then take that email using the clipping service and clip it to the, you know, Mac Geek Cab uh, number 225, for example, which it gives you in the services menu there under notebook. And uh, just a really good way to organize uh, the show notes, the show itself, and really able to get full potential uh, uh, of what I've learned from you guys. So it's just a great way to do it. I thought maybe you could share that with some of your other listeners. Uh, Circus Ponies is awesome. Their notebook setup is awesome. Uh, I've got tabs, individual tabs for each uh, show. And actually, um, we have a lot of new Mac users uh, where I work. And so what I do is I export it and publish it uh, via MobileMe to the website. So when I'm at work, I can pull it up on any computer listen to the show, talk to them about the show, you know, something I found that was really cool, like when Pilot Pete spoke about the uh, data cable for the uh, juice pack battery, which I have. I didn't realize that was what the problem was, and I share it with my friends. And, of course, a lot of things I can't remember, so this is just a really cool way of organizing the data and the info, and uh, that's, that's kind of how I use uh, Circus Pony's Notebook to, to help me organize and, and learn from your show. So thanks for all your hard work, guys. Uh, I'll keep listening and spread the word. Take care. Thanks so much, Dennis. And, and I, I love it when we can combine a, uh, a uh, let, me, let me hang up Dennis here. I uh, love it when, when we can combine a tip with uh, with the uh, with the sponsor message there, it's, it's actually very very cool. Circus Ponies notebook is available uh, at circusponies.com for forty nine ninety five. But of course, thirty day free trial available. So just go and download it, check it out, and then once you got it going uh, and you you know that you're going to use it, then go go back and send them your money. Uh, Dennis mentioned that he publishes his his notes to Mobile Me. I, I didn't want to share that link because I didn't want to overload his mobile me server, but I'm I'm going to get an archive of that as an example that we can put up uh, over at MacGeekGab.com. And once we do, we'll send you that link. Uh, we'll put that link in the show notes or or put it embed it in the show as well. So, thanks, Dennis, and uh, thank you to Circus Ponies at CircusPonies.com. That's a that's a good opportunity to transition into tips. I think, John, what do you think? Mm-hmm. You still with me here? Yeah, I'm still with you. All right. Oh, yeah. No Joe? Yeah. No, not Joe today. I think we... Uh, we'll try Joe later. Yeah, we'll try Yeah, Joe we do got to get the tips in. I, yeah. I think people like the tips. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, okay. Uh, recently, we talked about using an iPod Touch and uh, whether or not it would work over USB. And Raymond wrote in, John. In your last podcast, you talked about using your iPod Touch with... U- or, yeah, with iPod Touch with USB 1.1. I have an Emacs 700 megahertz, and we have two iPod Touches. The first... A first gen eight gig and a 16 gig second gen. The iPods work fine. It's just that when you need an update, it is very slow going. So all I do is plug it in, make my changes and walk away. So it definitely works for uh, Raymond on his EMAC. EMAC. Yeah. Gosh, how old is that thing? Not as old as you might think. Uh, 700 megahertz. They, they, that was like the last Mac that you could get without an LCD screen for a while. And, and they, they stuck around for, for longer than you, you might have realized. Uh, they're, they're end of life now, but, but, you know, no longer available. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, John, why don't you take the next tip? Cause you, uh, it was sent to you via Twitter, I think, right? Ah! Oh my gosh, you surprised me. Hold That's on. That's all right. That's all right. From Kirshen. 
Yes, she yes. sent us. Okay, no, I have it here. Yeah, Good. I was just trying to get the right document in yep. front. I need a tool to organize my windows. There's too many windows. Well, I try to have everything up in front of me, the, the notes and the, the submissions from uh, the, yes. uh, the readers, and uh, occasionally can't find the right. All right. Plus, these were in different formats because I just kind of threw it all together. So we got PDFs, we got TX. Anyway, so Kirshen, one, one of our um, favorite listeners, uh, <laughs> I think. We don't get to play favorites here. All right. She's not my favorite listener. <laughs> I just said one of them. Yes, that's right. They're, they're all my favorites. We, we have. Uh, okay. Anyways. Um, so we had a question and, and you know, I, I knew there was an answer. I just, I just felt there was an answer. Um, the, the, the question was from a, a prior show. Is there a way to print from a contextual menu? Now we kind of, we, we offered a number of other options uh, from doing a desktop printer to picking something, you know, go, uh, mapping a keyboard combination or, or a keyboard shortcut to the file menu, but that wasn't a contextual menu. And anyways, uh, Kirshen did find something. Uh, let me get the called printing uh, or no, it's a shortcut for printing docs. It's called it print. I've got it up in front of me. I can, I can, I can step in here. It's called, oh, I got print, it too. Okay. Yes. Print documents. Print documents. CM, which I, I'm going to bet is contextual menu. And I think that does exactly what you want. You get a print uh, dialogue, if you will, or a print menu in the contextual menu area. Yep. It, it's at narat.com, N-A-R-A-T-T.com. And the cool thing is uh, when you right click and obviously go to the contextual menu, you go to print documents and then you have a little menu that lets you select from all of your available printers or go to the printer setup utility. So it, you, you don't, you aren't stuck with just your default printer. You can pick what printer you want. You drag it there and then boom, it, uh, it launches the app and prints it to that printer. So pretty cool, man. I like so, that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And it says here, shareware, um, eight bucks, you know, oh, that's if, good. if there's something you need to do, then, then, then I don't think that's too bad. And, and to me, it implies that it, it gives you some level of functionality for, for a while. My guess is it's, 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 yeah, I, I guess shareware could be, yeah, might it might it might stop working after a while, or it might simply just be the honor system, which would which is fine. I I, I actually, you know what? Uh, when it comes to shareware and stuff like that, I prefer the honor system because uh, I don't like having to deal with a crippled app while I'm testing it or anything like that. And and I will go and and support the uh, the vendor. So, all right, uh, we already talked about I fix it, so I can take that off the tips list. Mm -hmm. We did talk about, and I embedded this link in, in the show notes for show 230. Uh, we talked about the video out capabilities of the various iPods and iPhones that have been uh, available. And it is possible with all of them, or at least all the ones that do video, to take uh, the video, plug in a dock connector, and then spit it out to any one of a number of formats. Uh, John Martellaro over at, uh, over at TMO. He works with us there. Uh, he told me two things. One was that there is a component video out cable for the iPod, uh, a dock connector to component video out for uh, for any of those devices. And then he sent me to an Apple knowledge base article that gives a It's a great little grid. It shows you what kind of output you're going to get with uh, with each type of uh, cable. And, and what it works with and all this stuff. So it, it's, it's great. Um, and, and we'll link to that, that knowledge base article. So look at that. Yeah, it's great. Shows you what cables are compatible with which iPhones and, and iPods. And then uh, talks a little bit about the, the resolution. So uh, nice. he says, he says the, uh, the original iPhone and the iPhone 3G with the component cable and TV out were limited to 480i. Interlaced the three GS on component cable supports 480p and and that is detailed in the in that link and and then some so uh and I'm not sure yeah while we're on this subject we might as well follow up with Suzanne and she wrote again along the same lines as the uh, as the the note from Raymond I decided to experiment with my iPod Touch second gen after listening to your podcast I have an older firewire to dock connection cable and a Scotchy dock USB converter that I use for charging using my firewire power brick or our older Monster iCar play I attempted to connect my iPod Touch to iTunes 902 on OS 10.5.8 I could not get iTunes to recognize the iPod Touch either with the cable directly connected via the firewire cable or when using the Scotchy USB adapter 
there, therefore, or dock connector adapter, I should say. Therefore, I must assume that the touch will only connect via USB. It does charge via FireWire with the use of the Scotia adapter. To further add to the mixture, I have an iMac G5 with all the ports in the back. I find that to be a pain. So about a year ago, uh, a year after getting the computer, I found a nice little USB extender that looks like half of a golf ball. Initially, the iPod Touch synced without a problem using the USB extender, but then it got all messed up and would not sync correctly. After I took the USB extender out of the mix and connected the USB charging cable directly to the computer, the iPod Touch settled back down and behaved correctly. It makes me wonder if that USB extender is USB 1 or USB 2. So this turns from a tip, which is great. Thank you, Sue. Into a question. Uh, and the way to check that is to use the system profiler. So you can go to the Apple menu about this Mac and then click on system profiler. Or you can hold down the option key, go to the Apple menu and simply choose system profiler. Thanks to a tip from a previous show. And then go down to USB. Start uh, connect your iPod touch up so you can see it. it this is going to show you a hierarchical display and see where the iPod touches and then follow it up from there. And you'll see whether or not it's using USB one up to 480 megabits a second or USB two, which is going to be limited to, I believe 12 uh, though. On the I think computer. you got that backwards. <laughs> you, is that right? Okay, thank you. I think you said USB 1 and 480. So USB That's 1 wrong. USB 1 is 12, Correct. USB 2 is 480 megabits. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, now, you know when I when I've run into problems like that, sometimes I'm wondering if the problem when you get a flaky USB extender, I've seen that often with ones that are bus powered versus mm -hmm. individually powered is that USB uh, the one thing I've never liked about it is it has some pretty wimpy uh, power, I, I guess it's okay because, you know, it, it lends itself to low power, but right. for powering other things, uh, you know, FireWire is the clear choice because they provide lots of, uh, you know, lots of uh, watts. Yeah, that's right. Uh, or current or whatever, you know, which ends up in watts. But um, yeah, I've seen this a lot of times with USB. Sometimes when I don't expect it, like even on my mini, if I try to plug certain things into the keyboard that's connected to my mini, it'll say, oh, I'm sorry, that's drawing too much power. And I'm like, but it's the only thing I'm plugging into you. What's oh interesting? And I guess the hub in the keyboard sometimes isn't you know. Yeah, they won't pass enough power through. That's right. That's right. Yep. Sometimes you've got to connect it directly to the computer for power. Or if you've got a hub where there's multiple devices on it, it might work fine if only one thing is plugged into it. But as soon as you plug multiple devices in, it might say, "Oh no, no, too much power drain. You gotta, you gotta undo something here." Or what I've seen is just I think most of them, not all of them, but uh, you know, they have an external wall wart right or, yeah so the, so it's not powering itself from the computer at all it's powering itself from another power supply in which case you should have you know plenty of juice right that's true that's true cool all right uh let me see if i can find the band here and bring them in there they are <laughs> can't thaw them out all right <laughs> gotta thaw them out that's right uh contact information it's very important oh you gosh. know how to find us because uh what we love to do more than anything else during the show is share your tips and, of course, answer your questions. So if you have a question to ask or a tip to share, you can call us 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. But that, that is not the only way you can contact us, Dave. You can right. also email us. And we love email, either email by itself or with whatever sort of, you know, multimedia you want to attach to it. Multimedia. I haven't wow. heard that term at all. What is it, 1996? Of time. <laughs> Ooh, pictures, movies. Uh, and that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, Dave. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, where you can send an audio file straight from your iPhone's voice memo app. And I believe we had more than one of those in this show, and they sound fantabulous. So, mm -hmm. Skype to Mac Geek Gab. You can leave us iTunes comments, which we greatly appreciate. We do try to read all of them. Uh, we can't respond to them because that's not how iTunes comments work. But uh, but we do appreciate it, and I know that uh, current and future potential listeners also appreciate it. So, iPhoneAlley.com is the home of Michael Johnston, and he's the one that converts these shows into AAC for you. Cashfly Hosting at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace for December 2009 includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, 
disc label from Smile on My Mac for printing your holiday DVDs at the DVD labels at the last minute, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and the Blue Bridge from Micus all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. I think that's it, John. Uh, I'd like to wish you, John, and you, all of our listeners, a happy, uh, let's see, happy winter solstice. Uh, a happy season's greetings, a Merry Christmas, if that's your thing later this week. It is for us. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Oh, that's over. I think it's over. It, yeah. It's still happening. So happy season. Happy whatever. You got it. Yeah, have, a, have, have as much happiness as you possibly can. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll take it from there. Thanks, everybody. I think I'm going to go yell at the neighbors. That's always nice to do this time of year. Well, whatever you do, whether you're out with the neighbors yelling or uh, having spreading holiday cheer, just remember what we always like to say, and that is don't get caught. Made up.